Well, good morning. Good morning. If you have a copy of the scriptures, you can open up to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. It's pretty cool having kids in here and them in the back singing. And uh, that was one of those times of worship that, man, you all were getting after it. And I think the walls were shaking and the neighbors in this complex knew we were here. That was good stuff. Hey, it's a, it's a bit of a bittersweet morning. Um, some of you know, uh, yesterday morning up in Bucyrus, uh, was able to go and participate. I had a mentor of mine that passed away last Friday unexpectedly. Um, he had some heart issues and they didn't uh, anticipate. He was on the phone with his daughter and he coded and passed away right there. Um, but it was interesting, he told his pastor um, down there in Lancaster that that evening he had two, two of the most vivid dreams he'd ever had of heaven. And then that very next morning he went to be with Jesus. And I'm so much of the man and pastor that I am today because of his influence on my life. Um, he's just one of those guys that poured into me. I told people, um, nobody ever knew this about, his name was Randy. He listened to my messages every week, voluntarily. You do because you, you come to church here, you have to, you don't have a choice. Randy didn't even live here and he chose to listen to my messages every Sunday and he would encourage me based on what he heard. But the one thing about Randy, and uh, I haven't told many people this, uh, he worked for AEP for like 30 years before he passed. When he got bonuses, he would send them to Living Hope because he believed in church planting and he wanted to invest back into it however he could. And so when he got those, he would send those to our church. Unexpectedly, we'd get a small note in the mail that said, God blessed me, so let me bless your church, Randy. And he never wanted credit for it. Now he's in glory here and well done, good and faithful servant. Hey, I want to show you one picture real quick before we look at Colossians chapter 2. Uh, this past weekend, our men, some of our men, not all of them, Went to the Men's Summit down at Urban Crest, so it's our annual men's retreat. Um, great time, went axe throwing. We got to stay in a mansion. I don't want to say mansion, it was literally, it was like one of those things that you'd see on MTV Cribs, kind of a house. I mean, it was the biggest house I've ever been, like three, le like three levels, pool, uh, gym, like literally a basketball court attached to it, just unbelievable. So men, last week of January of next year, mark that weekend off, come with us. Um, but this is kind of the funny note. So they had this painter there, Splat Experience. So that was a black canvas, and then like 10 minutes later, it was this picture of the face of Jesus. And they, did, they had two of them that they were going to give away. The first one, they drew a name, and it was a church planter that we support down in Cincinnati, Austin Mathis of Grace Church. Uh, many of you guys have heard that name before. And we were joking, me and Joe and, and Ryan was always like, oh, dude, we should steal that painting from him so that we could have one. And then they went and drew names the second time, and they said, Joe Kibbe. So Pastor Joe literally won that painting right there. A perspective, that's about a nine-foot by nine-foot painting. I don't know what you do with that. I don't know what you do with a nine-foot picture of Jesus' face. So... If you happen to come to Living Hope in the next couple weeks and it's just like in the hallway, it's because Joe wasn't allowed to put it in his living room. So, goodness gracious, that, it was pretty cool that he won that though. But seriously, if, if you want it for your house, let us know and we would be glad to give it to you. Hey, in Colossians chapter 2, we're going to look at a couple verses this morning. Um, we're in this mini one-off quarterly thing that we've talked about for a while where at least once a quarter, we're going to really talk about and push evangelism at our church um, ensuring that as a congregation, we never allow ourselves to, you know, that, that drift of churches as they age, as they can become inward focused, only thinking about themselves. We never want that to be true of living hope. And so at least once a quarter, we want to focus on and remind ourselves of the intentionality and importance of evangelism. 
And we've, we've titled today's message, this was an, an initiative from years ago called Who's Your One? And um, I just want to continue, we're going to focus on this at least four times this year, because when we talk about evangelism, my prayer has been that there's at least one person that comes to your mind, someone that you think about that doesn't know Jesus. And so I want to encourage us in that this morning. So if you'll stand with me in honor of reading God's word, Colossians chapter 2, reminder at Living Hope, we think the word of God is a big deal. And when we stand, we're not only honoring it, but we're placing ourselves under its authority. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, and God's word says this. And when you were dead in trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he, that's Jesus, made you alive with him and forgave us all our trespasses. Verse 14, he erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it away by nailing it to a cross. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you. Father, thank you for your word. God, I pray that this morning that your word would teach us and grow us, Lord, that it would cut us and shape us into the image of Jesus. So God, would you give us ears to hear from you this morning? God, we don't want just ears to hear your word. We want soft hearts to receive your word, Lord, to allow it to change us. But most of all, especially in this conversation this morning, would you give us obedient hands and feet that we'd walk in obedience to what we know that the Lord is calling us to do from his word. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Have you ever heard the story of Jesus? Two weeks ago, next door at our Finding Hope Center, that was the question that we asked a man from Afghanistan who had come through the ministry center. Myself and Scott, one of our interns, we had spent about a half hour getting to know this guy, getting to know his story. We helped him pick some items out, some beds for his home, some other knickknacks and things that he needed for his family. And we were standing at the door of the the Finding Hope Center after we had given him a tour of the church. He'd never been in a church before based on what he told us. And we were standing in the door of the Finding Hope Center next door, and we knew without a shadow of a doubt that a gospel conversation opportunity had been opened and asked him that simple question. What a simple question for us to ask. Have you ever heard the story of Jesus? And if I'm honest with you, and I think some of us would probably sympathize together in this, where we live here in Ohio, this northwest portion of our city coming from different places, I think I know I am. I'm guilty of making the assumption that everybody knows the story of Jesus, right? Like where we live, everybody has at least heard the story of Jesus. At least they've, they've heard the name of Jesus before. And so when I asked him that question, have you ever heard the story of Jesus, his response took me back a little bit. Because where we worship today, a guy from Afghanistan said this, who? I've never heard that story before. And in our ministry center, myself and Scott asked him the question, is it okay if we share that story with you? And we took the next 10 minutes or so for the very first time. I'm telling you, there's nothing better than when somebody hears the gospel for the very first time. And what I want to do for us this morning, we cast vision about six weeks ago for our congregation of where we believe that God was taking us the next couple of years. And we're going to focus on three areas. Remember, we are centering around just a few words, future together in mission. We want to invest deeply into our future, our kids and student ministries. That's why you saw two kids up here this morning leading us in worship, which, by the way, is awesome. Like, that is so cool for a local church to be able to do that. We want to invest in being together, creating intentional space for relationships 
to be forged in our church family. Just a reminder, groups started two weeks ago. If you're not in a group, you need to get in a group. But then lastly, we wanted to focus on mission, providing intentional opportunity, missional opportunity through our Acts 1-8 strategy. We've been highlighting those things each and every week. We went to Stowe Mission just a couple of weeks ago as a church family. We operate our ministry center. But we wanted to equip the local church, to equip ourselves at least quarterly in the area of evangelism. We want this to be important to us, especially as we age as a church. And so today we're making part of that vision a reality. I've shared with you all before as a follower of Jesus, one of my greatest passions and an area that I've done my best to lead this church in is the area of mission and evangelism. And I pray that that always overflows to the culture of our church. I love missions. I love talking with people about Jesus. But I'm just going to be honest with you because every time we talk about evangelism, um, I want to say this so that we're all on the same page. It scares me to death. When me and Scott were sharing with that guy a couple, couple weeks ago, you can ask Scott, as I had my phone out and I'm sharing the three circles with him, my hand was literally vibrating because I was so nervous. I didn't know this guy. I'm just telling him the story of Jesus, but I was so scared. And it to still, to this day, I've been walking with Jesus for 18 years. It scares me to death. But I was reminded, it reminds me, you guys ever been to the swimming pool before when you were a kid? You had the low dive and the high dive? We went in Pickerington, Ohio, Huntington Hills. I remember at seven years old, I was standing on the edge of the high dive with my toes hanging over the edge. We all have this similar story. And you remember that feeling in the pit of your stomach? You probably can feel it right now. If you're like, if I don't jump, all my friends are gonna make fun of me, right? I'm gonna be teased and they're gonna, they're gonna get after me. I have to muster up every ounce of courage that I possibly have and just go for it. And that's how we have to approach evangelism because if I had to guess, many of us are just not natural natural in that area of talking regularly about Jesus. So let me give us a foundation from the scriptures and why we're intentionally focusing on this idea of telling people about Jesus from the scriptures, the gospel that has changed our lives. I want to give you a tool that we looked at last year, but I want to equip us in that tool again, and then we're going to close with a challenge. And you've probably seen in our lobby a couple of glass jars and some signs. All of that is going to come becoming, uh, making sense for us this morning. So let's start with that simple question. Why do we do evangelism? Why do we make the effort to tell people about Jesus? We saw it there in Colossians chapter two. Let me read that for us again. Because we were dead in our trespasses. I mean, that's where the gospel message starts. We're dead in our trespasses, but Jesus made us alive with him and forgave us of our trespasses. That's the gospel message. Verse 14, that he erased our certificate of debt on all of its obligations that was against us and opposed us. And as we sang about a moment ago, he took it away by nailing it to a cross. So what's our motivation to take that message from Colossians 2, to take that message that's changed our lives? What's the motivation behind it? This is important for us to understand as well. If you have right motivation, it will lead you to right action. We need to be able to define the why behind why we do certain things. Because if my why is incredibly solid, I won't let anything deter me from making it happen. So why do we evangelize? Two things quickly. The first is we evangelize out of obedience. We evangelize out of obedience. I don't mean to be overly simplistic today, but you all know this. I'm not a super complicated guy. I'm not very complex. You guys, I'm surprised nobody's like, amen, we know that, right? Don't you dare. <laughs> Here's the reality. We tell people about Jesus because God told us to. 
period. We, we tell people about Jesus because God told us to. Hey, side note to this. I was thinking about this this morning. Do you know how much better our lives would be if we just always did what God said to do? Man, I was thinking about that because, again, I, if I'm anything like you, I've messed up a lot this week, and I just pause, and I'm like, Lord, if I just did what you said, that would make life so much simpler. That was free this morning. You can tweet that later if you want to, right? We tell people the story of Jesus because God said to. Think about this, Acts 1.8. We've looked at this verse so many times at this church. Some of Jesus' final words to his disciples after the resurrection, before the ascension into heaven, what did he say in Acts 1.8? But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and you will be my witnesses. If you have a hard copy of the scriptures, I want you to underline or circle that word. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. As a follower of Jesus, right there in that verse, there's a promise that's made to you and I that we will be empowered by the Spirit of God. The Bible says in Romans chapter eight, verse 11, that when you and I repent of our sin and put our faith in Jesus, that the Spirit of God comes to dwell inside of us. Listen to this, Romans eight eleven. It says, the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. What a promise that God makes to you and I. And according to Acts 1, 8, what does the Spirit empower us to do? To be his witnesses. Again, not to be overly simplistic today, but what is a witness? It's someone who sees or experiences something, and then here's the key about being a witness. They go and they tell other people about it. You see something, you experience something, and then you have to go and tell other people about it. When I was 16 years old, I was at a stoplight in Lancaster, Ohio. I was at a full stop. My friend was sitting there next to me. And I looked up in my rearview mirror and I saw a Jeep Cherokee barreling towards us, found out they were traveling 45 miles an hour and slammed into the back of my Honda Accord. I slammed into two cars in front of me. A few minutes later, the police showed up. And what's one of the first things that a police officer has you do shortly after they ensure that you're okay? You fill out a police report. Why? Because you were a witness to something. I had seen and experienced this accident, and now I was considered a witness to what had happened. When I was 15 years old, you guys have heard this story several times before, I was dead in my sin, according to Colossians chapter 2. But at a camp in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, somebody named Tab Edwards shared the gospel with me. And on the last night, July 3rd, 2003, I found her at the last song of the last worship gathering of that camp. And I bowed my knee and I repented of my sin and I confessed Jesus as my Lord and my life has never been the same. I'm a witness to what the gospel can do in someone's life. Somebody asked me this question once before. This is always a fun question. How do you know that you're actually a Christian? How do you know that you're actually saved? I've always phrased it this way. It's the same way that I know that I'm married. I was there when it happened. (laughs) I could take you back to the spot, the day and the time, and tell you everything that happened the moment I gave my life to Jesus, just as I could take you back to the spot on the beach where I married one of the prettiest girls on planet Earth. I was there when it happened. And because Jesus has changed my life now, according to Acts 1.8, I know this is simple, y'all, but I'm telling you, this would make a Baptist want to take his boot and throw it at the wall. This is so important. I have a responsibility, the scripture says, a command to be obedient to Jesus, empowered by the Spirit of God, to tell them how Jesus can rescue them from eternal death. 
We don't have a choice because God told us to. That the Son of God stepped out of heaven on our behalf, voluntarily dying on a cross, and has made a way back to God for us. Why do we tell people about Jesus? Out of obedience. Because God said so, and it's not optional. One of the stats that haunts me as a Christian, I read years ago, it said that less than 1% of followers of Jesus will ever lead another person to faith in Christ in their lifetime. That means in our church this morning, kids, everybody included, that just one person in our church will ever personally lead someone else to faith in Jesus. May that not be true of us. May we buck the statistics and buck the trends. We evangelize out of obedience. Here's the second one. We evangelize out of burden. We share Christ with people out of burden. What does that mean? It means that our hearts should hurt for people that don't know Jesus. Does my heart hurt for people that don't know Jesus or am I simply annoyed with them? Ooh, that'll preach. We see this heart of Jesus in Matthew chapter 9. You can turn there quickly if you'd like to the left in your Bible. Matthew chapter 9, we see his heart for people after a full day of ministry. We see in Matthew 9, 36, I think this is one of the most powerful verses in the Gospels, where it says that when Jesus saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd. Compassion there, I've heard this taught on several times. I would circle that in your copy of the scriptures if you're able. Compassion there isn't just something you feel, it's something that you actually feel in your gut. It's a very powerful word. It's something that's not just head knowledge that I possess, it's something that I feel deep within inside my innards, is literally what it means. Because we can have head knowledge that people are eternally separated from God apart from Jesus Christ. But here's the problem. Head knowledge doesn't motivate often to action. There's a lot of things that I know that have never changed how I live. But when my head knowledge makes its way from my head down to my heart and it makes me feel something in my gut, then I'm going to do something about what I know now. That's a different level of compassion, and that's what Jesus models here in Matthew chapter 9. Y'all, we believe in a very real place called heaven, but we also believe in a really a literal place called hell. That you and I, apart from a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, we would be separated from God. And unless Jesus interrupts our story and restores what is broken, we would be doomed for all of eternity. Do our hearts actually hurt with compassion that people don't know Jesus? Did they actually hurt like Jesus did here in Matthew 9 to the point that it motivates us to action? where the burden is so real and so felt that I have to do something about it. I've seen that illustrated perfectly. I, I use illustrations of my children a lot. If you don't like illustrations about kids, this isn't the church for you, right? I've seen this illustrated in the life of Sophia. Many of you know Sophia, my oldest, she's 10. She gave her life to Jesus at seven. And I'm telling you, and you know this, I'm a firm believer in people following Jesus when they're super young. I don't want my girls to have testimonies. I want their testimony to be, I gave my life to Jesus at a young age and I've walked with him ever since. Man, there's no greater testimony on planet Earth. At seven years old, Jesus changed Sophia's life, and she has never been the same. And I can say that as her dad, too. Shocking, right? But I remember a couple weeks ago, I came home late one evening. We had something here at the church. and I walked in the house, and I walked upstairs to find my wife. And she was sitting in the bed where Sophia was laying there trying to go to sleep. And as I walked down the hallway of our house, I could hear the... 
this, this, this sniffling. And I knew based on what I had heard that Sophia had been crying. And I thought initially, I'm like, oh man, like what did I walk into? What did she get in trouble for? What am I going to have to deal with? And I walked into her bedroom and she was laying there on her back and Liz was sitting up there with her and had her arm around her. And I could see just kind of in the dimly lit room, tears rolling down Sophia's cheeks. You could tell that her eyes were a little bit swollen and red because she'd been crying for quite a while. And I immediately, as a dad, I said, what's wrong? Who do I need to beat up, right? What's going on here? And y'all, I'm not making this up. My wife Elizabeth said, as Sophia was doing her devotions tonight, she began, began thinking and talking about all the people that she knows that don't know Jesus. She knows that apart from Jesus, that people will not go to heaven. She understands the reality of hell as a 10-year-old. And it breaks her heart. And she just sat in her bed crying for him. That's compassion. That's Matthew 9 lived out. We need a burden for lost people. Now here's the danger, and I'll show you a tool here in a second that we've looked at before. Obedience without burden, this is important, becomes a checkbox that we just do. And I just did it today. I shared with them. I shared with them. It just becomes a checkbox. We, we view evangelism as something we have to do, and we don't, compare, we don't carry the compassion of Jesus. But the inverse is also true. Burden without obedience, evangelism simply becomes something I hope someone else may do someday. God, I know that they're lost. I know that they need you. Lord, I hope that you find someone to share with them. And when as followers of Jesus, we can find the middle of obedience and burden, that's the sweet spot. The sweet spot is where we, we actually are obedient to Jesus' command to be witnesses. And we do it from this burden that God has forged in our hearts because we don't want to see anybody separated from Christ. And then we trust Jesus to do what only he can do, and that's save sinners. I want to equip us today with another tool. You guys have seen this last year. This is my favorite way. I use this pretty much on a weekly basis to share the gospel with people. Let me encourage you too, if you have a cell phone, you can do this while I'm sharing if you'd like to. Go to your app store, simply search the words life on mission. I have this saved on my phone, that gentleman I told you about in the beginning. That's the way Scott and I shared the story of Jesus with him. This is such a simple way for us to share that story with folks, but it just is three quick circles. Now, if you look at this in your app, they're gonna use different words than I do. I just kind of share from the heart and what's going on with me. But three circles, real fast. You can do this on a napkin. You can use this app on your phone. If you've got a whiteboard at the office, go for it. Who's going to stop you, right? But the circle simply starts as we talk about God's design. We told that gentleman last week that there's a creator God who made everything that we see, the place where he was standing in, the trees, the sun, the moon, and the stars, that God designed everything. He's the creator of all things, but the pinnacle of his creation was you and me. That God, in, in, in some reason, in his sovereign plan, he created human beings who he created them in his design, and because he's the creator and we're the creation, he also has a design for our lives. That there's a way that God designed us to live and to function. He has rules that he set forth, things that we're supposed to follow. 
And not to be overly simplistic, but you and I have departed from God's design. Simple things like, how often do we not tell the truth? How often do we covet things that other people have? We may consider those little sins, but they're sins nonetheless. And when we, you and I, depart from God's design, which we all have, the Bible says that that's sin. To know what God says and to do opposite of it is known as sin. And the problem with that is, is that our sin leads us to a place of brokenness. That we were designed to be in a relationship with God, but because we separated ourselves from him through our sin, we're now broken. Our relationship with God is severed. There's a gaping hole somewhere in our hearts that needs to be filled, that once was filled with the Lord, with God. And now in our brokenness, here's the problem. We try to fill that hole in so many ways. That's what those squiggly lines represent. Rather than being indwelt by the Spirit of God now, what do we try to fill our brokenness with? We can do it with things like, I talked to a men's group last night. Things like, I just want to get better at my career so I can make more money. If I just had a little bit more, then I'd be fully satisfied. We do it in things like relationships. If I just had this relationship, then I would be satisfied. So many things that we use trying to fill our brokenness. But the reality is, and this is the truth of the gospel, that you and I are separated from God and we need a way back to him. God dwelling in our lives, God, the relationship with him being restored is the only way that humans are fully satisfied again. And as Christians, we know this to be the gospel. That the son of God stepped out of heaven on our behalf, lived a perfect sinless life for you and for me. He died on a cross in my place and your place, was placed in a tomb. Three days later, he came back from the dead and he invites you and I to confess him as Lord and master of our lives. And the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 11, that then the Spirit of God comes to dwell inside of me. How do I, what do I do with this gospel truth? Two words. It starts where I have to repent of my sin. You have to actually acknowledge that you're a sinner and your relationship with God is broken. You have to admit that you're broken and that you need a Savior. That's one of the hardest things for people to really do. We are sinners, and we have to choose, the word repent literally means to make a 180 degree turn, to repent of our sin and trust Jesus. We use the word here, believe. That we actually believe what Jesus accomplished on the cross, that we believe that he came back from the grave, and now we make him Lord of our lives. Lord means master, means I'm not the boss anymore, but Jesus is. And here's what's so cool. In our broken state, when we repent of sin and we believe the gospel, the Spirit of God begins to dwell inside of us according to Romans 8, 11. And then here's what's awesome, two words. It's the word recover and the word pursue. Our relationship with God is recovered again. It's restored because of what Jesus accomplished for us. And now we get to pursue this ongoing relationship with the God of the universe. That's the gospel. And y'all, I'm telling you, I've, I've, over the years, learned a lot of tools on how to share Jesus with people. That's my favorite. That's my favorite because people love pictures. They love following along with that stuff. Encourage you to download that on your phone. What do we do with a message like this today? This is probably the fourth or fifth time we've talked about evangelism at our church over the years. What do we do with this today? One thing we're trying to get better at as living hope is every time we preach something on a Sunday, we give you a next step. Something to do next. Today, we're gonna to give you three options. I want you to take a step this week in evangelism, a step in obedience. Take a step with what 
we saw in the scriptures today. And here's the first one. I want you to simply, maybe this is your first step, there's gonna be three options, to pray with someone this week. I've been walking with Jesus, like I said, 18, 19 years. I can count on one hand how many times I've offered to pray with someone in their time of need where they've said no. It's very rare that that happens. But maybe that's the step that you can take towards evangelism. That while you're at work this week, maybe you're with family who is not believers, maybe you're at your gym somewhere, and you know that someone is burdened with something, offer to pray with them. And here's what we're gonna ask you to do. We're gonna start tracking this because we wanna see how God's activity is moving in our church. Out there in our lobby, just around the corner, you should have seen two glass jars. And there's two signs on those glass jars. One says prayer with people. And there's these little rocks out there. All I'm asking you to do is over the next several weeks, and I hope it's this week, that if the Lord gives you an opportunity to pray with someone, that you simply pick up one of those rocks and you put it in that glass jar. You can put their initial on it if you'd like to, whatever it is. And then here's what I'm asking us to do as the local church. When we're here on Sundays throughout the week, whatever it is, pause there for a minute. Maybe reach in and grab a rock and pray over that individual real quick and ask God to move in their lives. Maybe your step this week with a message about evangelism is to simply pray with someone. Maybe your step is this. In your seat today, when you sat down, if you don't see this, it's because it's under your rear end, all right? You had these little cards. Maybe your step in evangelism this week is that you take this card and you invite somebody to be part of your church. You invite them to join you over the next couple of weeks. That's so important for us to do, is to invite people into the story of God that he's writing here in their church. Here's the one thing that I know, and I say this all the time. We're living in the middle of a miracle. Jesus is doing a lot with a dot. You're here because you sense and know that God's doing something special in this church. There's a whole lot of churches you could go to, but you choose to come here. I would hope that you believe enough in this that you would invite other people to be a part of it. Yeah, I think that's safe to, fair and safe. So maybe your step is to pray with someone this week. Maybe your step instead is to take this card and to invite somebody to church. You say, oh, Pastor Aaron, I live 35 minutes away. We have people that drive from all over the place. Here's what I told them. Two things. Number one, you drive here. Why wouldn't your neighbor? Number two, heard a guy say this one time. I'm not going to tell you who said it, though. He said, a church that's alive is worth the drive. Yeah? You drive to get Chick-fil-A, but why don't you drive to get a little bit of Jesus, right? Come on. Take that card and invite somebody. And here's the last one, and this is my challenge. I'm taking this one too as the, the pastor of this church. Maybe your step is you need to take this tool right here, you need to get that on your phone, and you need to share the gospel with someone. Maybe you can ask them that simple question, have you ever heard the story of Jesus? Can I share it with you? It's so simple. Church family, I simply want us to close today as the praise team comes, and I, I just would invite you to pray with me. I believe with all of my heart that Jesus is doing something special in this church. Pastor Joe and I were reflecting this past week, just thinking one year ago at the story of Living Hope. There's several of you that are in this room that you were not with us a year ago, but by God's sovereign plan, you are now. A year ago, think you guys can come up. You come on, come on, yeah, hey, come on. You weren't part of the story a year ago. Think about this. You know, one year ago, shoot, eight months ago, this church, and I'm, I'm gonna say this um, as nicely as possible. Um, we, we, I guess it's not me. We only sang in English. 
We never translated our services into Spanish for our brothers and sisters from so many other countries, but we do now. God is doing so many neat things here. Our ministry center over the last year became the first send relief center in North America affiliate site. Like, this is so cool. And I want to invite more people into this story. And so as our praise team leads us in song, we've talked about over the past several weeks, we consider the front of this stage an altar. If you want to come and pray, maybe that one person that you're thinking about that needs to know the story of Jesus, come and pray for him. Maybe right there in your seat, you just pause and sit there for just a second and just ask the Lord, Lord, would you give me courage this week? Because giving somebody an invite to church scares me to death, but I'm going to jump off the high dive and swallow my fear. I, believe, I just need to pray. Let's pray, we'll sing, and let's just ask God to do what he does. Father, we love you. Thanks for your word. God, I pray that my passion, Lord, that is just deep inside my gut would overflow to our church family. God, even in the coming weeks, as we're dropping those rocks into those glass jars, that we would walk by there and be encouraged that as a faith family, we're walking together arm in arm, doing what we can to reach other people and trusting you to do what only you can do. So God, I pray as we sing that our voices are a sweet sound through the corridors of heaven, giving Jesus the praise that he deserves. And God, would you hear our prayers this morning? It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Amen.